how far can I go and then not be considered wrong? We've all been single at some time in our life. Some of us are still single. And I already know how this is going to work. All right. We've all been single at one time in our life. So how many of us are guilty of actually asking that question at some time in their life? I have to admit that I've had my share of... This is not going to work. I'm sorry. I've got to put it in the front pocket because I keep sitting on it. It's like... Bang. I've, I've asked that question several times in my life when I was single, trying to figure out where the line was so that I didn't cross it. And really, it's a very dangerous question to be asking because really, essentially what we're asking or trying to do is we want to do everything short of sin. We want to go right up to that point. The question has a, a, a sexual connotation to it. But it, it works, uh, works the same for sin in general. Basically, we have a tendency to want to push the envelope and still be sitting on the right side, right? For some reason, we want to get as close to sin before committing sin. I'm a pretty clumsy guy. I was born with uh, thick fingers and thick toes. And I know that if I set my drink on the edge of, a, of the table where I'm eating, I'm inevitably going to knock it over at some point, because that's just who I am. I'm clumsy, right? Sometimes, you can ask my wife, uh, I'll, I'll stick a fork or, uh, or a spoon or something right there at the edge of the plate when I'm eating, and sometime, about every third meal or so, I'll fumble, and, it, and it'll drop into my lap, right? That's just who I am. Sometimes when I drink, and I'm drinking out of a straw, I have this, uh, I, I don't know what it is, but I don't let the fluid go down the straw before I take my mouth off. So the fluid's still shooting up the straw. And so I'll take it off real quick and on my shirt. And I'll be like, dang it. So what do I do? I don't wear white clothing when I eat. <laughs> That's basically what I do. Because I know that it's going to come up on my shirt. And uh, I'm going to spoil it. I, have, uh, I inherited the, the ability to not keep white clothing white. I'm, I'm pretty good at that. So... Uh, I know these things about me, uh, so it would be wise of me to dress properly when I eat or drink and not wear white. Uh, I, I dress down when I eat. But, you know, the same thing, you know, I, I use that as an analogy, but I'm prepared for that. Um, you know where you're clumsy. You know where your problem areas are. So you need to be prepared for that, and that's where margin comes in. I said earlier that the question, how far can I go and it not be considered sin, has a sexual connotation to it. And it does. It does. Because that's the way God created us. God created us to be sexual beings. And uh, the Bible clearly talks about uh, that a lot, about sex in the Bible a lot. So um, let's, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. And it says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins as a man all other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. I was reading off the screen here. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. The Bible's pretty clear on this. The line of sin, in this case, is sexual immorality. So the line is like this stage right here. 
And the closer you get, you may cross over that line. They don't say falling into sin for nothing. There's a clear line there that we need to stay away from. The closer you get, you, you hang your feet over the line and you rock back and forth. There's a chance you're going to fall over that line. We need to have those lines in our life. Um, Paul says to flee. I don't know about you, but when I think of the word flee, I don't think about walking away from something. I think about running away from something, getting away quickly. That's what fleeing is. It's getting away. So uh, we need to flee from sexual immorality. Um, on Friday, I was working my last day at Child Protective Services in Jacksonville. Woo. <laughs> And um, I, I was helping out, and uh, this lady walks in, and she's got three toddlers, three, two, and one, little boys. And I'm helping them out. It, she's not the mom. She's just taking care of these boys because their mom has messed up. <coughs> Pardon me. And uh, these little boys, I'm, I'm helping them out with getting clothes and, and getting set up and everything. And uh, I'm, I'm talking with this lady. I'm sorry, I'm having problems here. And uh, I, I let these kids go into the, to this playroom. And it's a pretty, it's a fairly large room and it's got uh, lots of toys and stuff for the kids to play with. And so while I was talking with this lady and, and her boyfriend, um, I was looking, uh, I was kind of watching through the door, making sure they're playing nicely and not getting hurt and everything. And as I'm talking with this lady, all of a sudden the three of us are like, oh, oh, wow. One of the kids, if not two of the kids, I know it wasn't all three, but one or two of the kids did something in their diaper. And it was bad. Oh, it's horrible. I mean, this, this room is a large room. And I'm sitting, I'm not sitting, I'm standing outside the room, and I'm getting further and further away from this room, just, you know, talking. And we're all, like, tears are coming to my eyes because this is like in the record books for smell. It really was bad because... You know, I can, I can handle, you know, like you're playing with a kid. You're like, oh, looks like somebody needs their diaper changed. No, this kid's like 40 feet away from me. And still I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I do? I fled. I fled. <laughs> I, I was like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, it's not my kid. And, uh, and this is my last day. I'm not, I'm not changing diapers. And especially this kid's diaper. I'm not even, I'm not even getting close to. So I fled. I fled to the bathroom and got some spray. And I was, and I, so I was like sticking in the room like this. The kids are walking around playing. I'm following behind them. Lysol, because I'm thinking, man, there's got to be some germs in that smell, because it was, it was bad. That's what I did. I fled. Um, I put some distance in and I ran. That's what fleeing means. I put some margin in between me and that kid and that smell. I didn't see how close I could get to the kid before falling out unconscious. <laughs> I didn't see how close I could get. I just fled. <clears throat> so to answer your question about how far can I go and uh, not be in sin, how far in this case, in this particular case uh, of, of sexual immorality is sexual arousal. That's actually on your on your guide there, you shouldn't have even a hint. That means that you stop before you, you start. It's pretty easy, right? 
behind me, you see there's, there's this line of sin, right? There's the line. That's where we do not want to be. So why don't we add not just, why don't we just have one line, but have several lines? Maybe start out with the green line. And that green line is basically saying that if you're dating somebody, that you're not spending time alone with them at night. Maybe. If you're married, that means that you don't, uh, I don't know, you, you, don't spend, uh, you don't spend time with the opposite sex alone in your office, right? Maybe uh, this kind of blackish line is, uh, you know, keeping all four feet on the floor when you're, when you're dating. You know, if you're picking up your feet, maybe something's not right, right? Parents, you're like, I hope they're keeping all four feet on the floor. And if you're married, maybe you're not sharing the details of your marriage with somebody from the opposite sex. Okay, how about, how about this next line? We can come up with something else, right? Uh, dating, what should, what should they not do? Anybody have any suggestions? Kissing, okay? Don't be playing tonsil hockey. That's easy, right? And if you're married, uh, women, you, uh, you monitor your husband's internet activity. Ooh, that's margin. See how much space we have here? Look at all that space. If you set these lines up where you're keeping all four feet on the floor, you know what? That line of sin just gets further and further. That's how it works. That's what we call margin to keep from being in that sinful situation. We set up rules. We set up boundaries. We, uh, we be careful. Um, there's all kinds of lines that we can draw or that we should draw because it's easy to cross that line of sin. Many of y'all know that, that I was married before and uh, I, I actually got married in, in 1999. I'm going to stand up to do this because the lights are bright. <laughs> And then it, it seems more natural when I'm, I'm standing up and you can see my dance moves. <laughs> so in 1999, I got married to, to a girl that I met at a Christian university. And uh, she, was a, she grew up in a strict Baptist house, home. Parents were, were uh, good churchgoers and she was a moral girl and uh, she caught my eye in college. And uh, she, she was a pretty good girl. We had... Uh, we had uh, we dated for about two and a half years before we got married, and we tried to do things right. And uh, in August 29th of 2005, the day that Katrina hit, I was working as a police officer in Houston, Texas. And I worked the graveyard shift, so Sunday night, the, the storm is coming in, and I'm actually, uh, my, uh, my ex-wife's dad worked for me at the police department, not at that point, but a little bit later when I got promoted to sergeant he actually worked for me. But that night he was working some overtime and I spent some time with him and he was real quiet with me that night. And uh, when I was driving home that morning, I, I see my ex-wife coming out of our neighborhood. She was a school teacher and uh, she was driving out. And I had thought, you know, this past weekend, she, uh, Saturday, she had gone and spent time with her parents. And actually uh, she would go once a month and, and stay with her parents because they lived all the way across town. And so she spent the night, Saturday night, uh, with her parents. And then Sunday, she comes home and uh, uh, she goes to the pool in our neighborhood and uh, doesn't want me to come with her. And 
it, it was kind of strange. And I, I felt like, man, she's like avoiding me. Because, you know, we were pretty tight and we are pretty close and uh, pretty similar to the, the way my wife and I are now are. We, we did a lot of things together. And um, so I'm, I'm coming home and I see her pull out and uh, drive out of the neighborhood. And I get on my phone because I missed her. And so I called her and I'm like, hey, what's going on? Seems like you're, you're kind of avoiding me. What's, what's going on? And she says, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Gentlemen, you probably get that a lot. I know I do. I don't want to talk about it. And uh, so I was like, well, you know, obviously it's like you were like avoiding me. And, and she said, I don't, James, I don't want to talk about it. I said, well, now I'm not going to be able to sleep because I'm going to be worried, you know, because obviously this involves me. And uh, she said, she goes, okay. She starts to cry and she says, I'm tired, I'm lonely, and I want to separate. Whoa. I, this is the first time in my life, in my marriage, in my relationship with my ex-wife that I was like, whoa, it hit me like out of nowhere. I had no idea. And uh, immediately, you know, I was like, so is there somebody else? And she said, oh, no, no, there's nobody else. It's just me. And I'm lonely. And I'm thinking, well, you're married. How are you lonely? I, I just didn't get it, you know? And this is a, this is a, a big prideful thing for me because... My, my marriage, you know, we waited till we got married to have sex. I read these books on uh, communication. I read the, the five love languages, the men are from Mars, women are from Venus. You know, I, I did everything right. I waited two and a half years to get married, and this is, this is what happens. So I'm just, you know, I, I don't get any details, and all day I'm, I'm thinking about it. Of course, I didn't sleep. She comes home later that day, and and we talk about it, and uh, I, I talk to her just like I'm talking right now, just soft and going off of those communication books and just trying to be understanding, and I'm thinking no way is my marriage going to end because I've done everything right. No way could my marriage end. And so I didn't quite believe it, and she said that there wasn't anybody else. Well, that week, I, uh, I ended up finding there was somebody else, and... Uh, and so the week was, was kind of hard, you know, finding this out. And uh, I decided, again, I was in Houston, and uh, I decided I was going to come up here to Jacksonville where my sister lives for Labor Day, which is uh, normally what I would do every year and bring my jet ski and have fun. This time I'm coming by myself. And uh, I get a phone call on Saturday morning, and she tells me that she's going to mow the lawn. And I was thinking, well, that's good. You know, you're cheating on me. Might as well mow the lawn. That's, that's good. That's the least you can do, and but I'm nice to her, and and uh, and I'm, I'm, she's telling me she's going to return some movies, and and I don't quite at this time know, you know, that she's actually having sexual relations with this guy, so, uh, I ask her point blank, I said, have you had sex with this guy, and she said, James, I don't even want to talk about any of this stuff right now. When you come home, we'll talk about it. And I said, no, I need to know because I need to know if I need to get tested. I tricked her into it. She said yes. That didn't make me feel good. <laughs> she, was, she was messing around with some guy that she met at the gym that I found out that week. Had a nine-year-old little girl, and uh, she met this guy at, at Bally's gym. And so I asked her, are you happy? You know, And I, I just was nice and trying to, 
be good communicating, and that's just kind of my personality anyways. I don't really yell or stuff like that. So uh, unless I'm yelling at the youth, come on. But uh, I'm pretty easy going. And so I was nice. And I said, well, hey, I've been nice this whole time. I've, uh, you know, I've, I've been okay with everything that's going on. And, and I've, uh, you know, I, I think I've been pretty nice to you, right? Yes. Do me a favor. Has he been to the house? No. Please don't let him come to the house. I don't want him coming to the house. Oh, James, he knows you're a police officer. He doesn't want anything to do with you. He's not going to come to the house. He, he won't come to the house. And I said, good. That's all I'm asking is just don't bring him to my house. Okay. Well, that was Saturday. And she thinks I'm coming home Wednesday. But I actually got an extra job directing traffic on Tuesday. And so I leave early, early Tuesday morning because I was having trouble sleeping. I don't know why. I just was having trouble sleeping. And uh, so I get up early and I actually get home just about the time that she's, she's leaving for work. And I'm in my neighborhood and I'm towing my jet ski behind our car. And she passes right by me and never even sees me. This is how far out of her mind she was at the time. Right on our road, even. And I go, into the, I go up to the house and uh, I open the door probably about that far. And it was a pretty nice home. I open the door about that far and I knew the guy's been in my house. I could smell it. Sometime in, in the, in the, over the weekend, the dude had smoked weed in my house and I could smell it. I know that smell. I was a police officer. I'm literally, I could be driving down the road with windows up and the car could be traveling down the highway 50 feet away, going the opposite direction with their windows up. And I'd be like, dude, that, that guy's smoking weed. <laughs> it's, it's one of the spiritual gifts. You can look it up. First Corinthians. It's a gift to the spirit, and uh, you know I, I try not to brag, but I opened the door about that far, and I knew that the dude had been in my house, and so I walk in, and I'm already like, "What? She did not." So I go into the bedroom, and there's a cot set up next to my bed, the nine-year-old little girl. I put my stuff down on my bed, and I'm ticked. I'm ticked now. Oh, I'm upset because I watched my brother and sister go through a divorce with similar circumstances where their spouse cheated on them. And I watched all of this. I've watched other people go through divorces. And I did not want to have a divorce or a relationship like those people. And so I did my best to make sure that my marriage was good by doing those classes, by waiting to have sex until I got married. I tried to do things right so that I didn't end up like, like my brother and my sister. And right there, I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. She's vengeful towards me. And I'm like, I've been nice. I'm trying, to be, I'm trying to be good here. And I'm ticked now. Because now it's like, you're going against what I asked you to do. Ah, I was mad. So I go in to the kitchen. And the dude's dog is sitting in a kennel in my kitchen floor. Oh. So I call her up. Because I just saw her, I call her on the phone, and I'm a little upset now. So I said, uh, guess what? I'm home. And guess what I saw? The dude's dog in my, in my kitchen. You better come, <laughs> and you better come get this dog, because I'm going to kill it. Then you're going to have to explain to your little boyfriend how he got a dead dog. You better, and this is just voicemail. So I hang up. 
and I, I grabbed the, I grabbed the dog, and on the cot of um, the cot was this quilt that her grandmother had made that's dead now, so obviously it's worth something to her. I grab it, and I'm dragging it along, and I'm going outside, and I take the water away from the dog, because I'm going to kill it by dehydrating the dog. <laughs> so I put it in the sun in my backyard, and, and I'm taking the water away, and I'm dragging, dragging the quilt in the grass. I didn't step on it and get grass stains, but because I just didn't think about it, but I would have. <laughs> but I dragged it, and I left it out there, and the previous week, uh, like I said, that I worked with, uh, I worked with her dad, and she had told me, "Don't you dare tell my parents uh, what happened, or I'm gonna, or I'll never forgive you." And my thoughts at that point in time were, "Forgive me? Like, do you realize we're not even gonna be friends after this?" So the first person I thought of to get at her was to call her dad. So I'm outside, and I call her dad, and I said, "Mr. Boyd." you want to know why your daughter left me? And he said, oh, buddy, I can only imagine. And I said, because your daughter's a whore, Mr. Boyd. Your daughter's a whore. She brought the guy to the house. He's been in my house all weekend. And as I'm walking inside, I notice, okay, my lawn has been mowed. Looks good, you know. All right. I notice my shoes that I mowed the lawn with are on the back porch. I didn't leave them on the back porch. That means the dude was wearing my shoes. Oh, okay. Okay. Now, it's bad enough that the guy comes into my house. He sleeps on my bed. He puts his head on my pillow because I'm assuming she took the right side. In my sheets, he's walking through my hallways with my pictures. He's with my wife doing God knows what. And then he's going to wear my clothes? You've got to be kidding me. You don't wear another man's shoes. I'm sorry. That's, that's crossing the line. That's really crossing my line. I am I'm livid. I'm standing there talking to my former father-in-law in the phone, and I'm looking in the mirror, and it was like a cartoon. Steam's coming out my ears. My eyes are huge, and I'm just like, Aah! you know. And she calls me when I'm talking to her dad. And I, she's like, She's like, hey, uh, and I said, you want to know who I'm talking to? I said, I'm talking to your dad. And she's like, great. She starts yelling at me. She's like, you just ruined my life. Thanks. <laughs> oh, I was like, he wore my shoes. You can't wear my shoes. That's, oh, oh, man. Oh, steaming. I've never in my life been so mad in my, I mean, I'm, I am just raging. And I can understand now how people like kill their spouses and, and do stuff like that because they're being so mad. I mean, I was out of my mind mad. And I'm really a gentle person and I don't yell. You can ask my wife, I don't yell. I don't raise my voice. And this is the first time in nine years with my ex-wife that I've ever raised my voice at her and I'm ticked. And I go and I, I hang up with both of them and I say, God, you say that you're not going to put more on my plate than I can, than I can handle. I can't handle this. I, I can't handle this. You also say to put my cares and concerns at your feet. God, I don't want to be in sin over this. I don't want to be like everybody else. I want to be free from sin, but I can't handle this. I am, I am beyond mad, God. I'm beyond, I'm raging right now because I'm so upset that the dude wore my shoes. 
You don't wear another man's shoes. I, ho- I pray to God that y'all don't experience somebody wearing your clothes when it's horrible. It's, I was more upset about the shoes than anything else. Like, you can be with my wife, don't wear my shoes, and be with my wife. That's like crossing the line by far. So I said, God, I can't handle it anymore. And I said, I'm not going to be in sin over this. So I go outside and I grab the dog and I do the quilt and I fold it up. I give the dog its water. And the second I did that, no more rage. I'm telling you, it was instantaneous. It was like, and I was like, a smile comes back on my face. And I was like, that's where I need to be. I need to be free from sin. Now, I tell you this story because my ex-wife was a good person. We had a great marriage. She loved me. We had fun. We were great in communication and talking and loving each other and affectionate. But she didn't have margin in her life. So she goes to Bally's gym and she meets a guy that says hello to her. And by the way, the guy like cuts his neck out of his head, his, his shirt when he goes to work out. I thought that was funny because I followed him. <laughs> I was a police officer. I followed her to the gym and sat. This is funny. I sat, uh, I sat in the lobby of Bally's gym. I followed her there. She's working out in the room. And I'm looking for a 39-year-old man that's tan, has muscles, and has a 9-year-old little girl. So I just sat there patiently. And they're like, sir, can we help you? Nope. Just waiting. And then comes this guy and he walks in and he immediately tells the little girl to go around the corner. Go over there. And then he walks up to a girl and he's like, hey, how you doing? I'm Bobby. And I was like, yes. That's funny. That's funny. The guy's like already hitting on other girls. And, uh, and at that point I gave up on like terrorizing him. Because once I realized that the guy would, you know, the guy cut the neck out of his shirt. That's just hilarious. It's like, it's like 1987 or something, you know, like Gold's Gym. <laughs> uh, but anyway, she, she meets a guy and, he, uh, and he's, he's nice to her and he makes her feel pretty. And she doesn't have those lines of margin in her life and she falls for it. She goes to dinner with the guy. Things lead to another. That's why we need margin in our life because she wasn't a bad person. This can, this can happen to anybody, anybody. This is a youth pastor's wife and it happened. So we've got to have that margin in our life. There's a statistic that says that 65% of men and 55% of women will commit adultery by the age of 40. Uh, why is that? Because there's no margin in their world. We're crossing over a bunch of imaginary lines and we're getting closer to that line of sin. So here's what I want to do. On your listening guide, uh, I've got some, some suggestions. This is where I draw the line. Okay, so let's, let's go through them. Number one, dress for spiritual success. Okay? Yesterday I was at Marshall's and I'm sitting on the bench um, waiting for my beautiful wife. By the way, have you met Amanda? This is my beautiful wife. Stand up, Amanda. She was, she was shopping. Of course, she's not going to stand up. She's embarrassed. Uh, 
I was, I was sitting there, she was shopping, so I'm sitting on the man bench at Marshall's <laughs> and uh, on purse patrol, you know, holding the purse. And I hear a lady behind me, girl, you think this is too sexy to wear to church? Does it really matter? I mean, church, outside of church, shouldn't it be the same? Dress for spiritual success. Number two, keep four feet on the floor. We already talked about that one. <coughs> Excuse me. Number three, no sleepovers or playing house. That's easy to do when you're, a, when you're an adult and you have your own place or you have two separate places and maybe even you have a long-distance relationship where you live across town, <laughs> big town of Palestine. Yeah. You're like, I don't want to drive home. You know, the old five miles, three miles, whatever it is. Number four, no tonsil hockey. We talked about that one. That, in case you don't know, that's like making out on the couch. Okay. Uh, number five, avoid dangerous places. You determine where the dangerous places are. It may be the, the living room with the lights turned down, watching a movie. I don't know. Avoid dangerous places. Number six, monitor internet activity. We talked about that. Ladies, if you haven't already figured out, your husband is, uh, is a visual creature. And the internet is the devil's playground. Sometimes women have that problem too, but uh, you need to set up the you need to set up a a, a margin line, a boundary line uh, with your spouse, and and uh, do something like that. Set up that that margin. Number seven, avoid time alone with the wrong person or the right person. You know. Number eight. Guard your eyes, your mind, and your heart. You, you may say, well, you know, this is kind of extreme, but Paul clearly says, flee from sexual immorality. Nobody plans this stuff, and it can happen to you. Now, I want to I tell you something um, about what happened after, oops, um, after my ex-wife met Bobby. And uh, what, what this caused me to do is this caused me to turn to God because I didn't have anything else. And this was the love of my life. This was my life. And I was left with nothing left but to turn to God. And so I did. And I, I, I came to God and, and kind of redeveloped that relationship I had with him. And I got closer and uh, became more involved in church than I was with my wife, uh, ex-wife at the time. Uh, you know, the, the whole the whole church thing, I, I became more involved. Um, I kind of just redeveloped that. And I got promoted at work. And that promotion kind of put me in the, the target zone at, at work. And, and I got accused of, uh, of, of something at work that wasn't true. And it was another blow to my pride. Because, you know, I always tried to be that good guy. And, and for somebody to blame me for something that I didn't do or it really upset me and it, it caused, it caused, you know, a lot of, a lot of time where I had to turn to God and I had to realize that, you know, God was in control. And if this was going to continue, that God had his hand in it and that I was going to be all right. One of the, the cool things that I learned when my ex-wife met Bobby was that, uh, what I don't even remember what I was going to say. I said, Bobby, and you laughed. And then I was like, what? Uh, one, one of the cool things was that I knew that this, this person was very important to me and I knew that if, if this was going to be taken away from me, 
that God had something better. And in case you don't know what that something better is, it's my beautiful wife, Amanda. It was so much better. Because I had it good before, but now I have it excellent. And so I ended up meeting her actually three years ago this weekend, Labor Day weekend, which seems like the Labor Day weekend keeps coming back into play because that's when I found out about Bobby also. But uh, three years ago, I met my wife. And uh, so we started dating from a long distance. She was here going to this church and I was in Houston. And I ended up losing my job at the police department in Houston over this stuff that I got accused of that just wasn't right. And I was like, God, what are you going to do? You know, I mean, I need to work. And so I ended up coming up here and spending a little bit more time. I was, I was coming at like every other weekend up here and uh, starting to meet people at the church and hanging out at the church a little bit. And uh, I, I, I had time off because I wasn't working and I was between job interviews and everything. I started to, to stay at my sister's a lot more. <coughs> we started uh, doing this church building. And uh, we were remodeling the, the skating rink into a church, and, and I got to do a lot of, a lot of the painting up here on the, the rafters. Uh, that's a lot of my work when I was off. And, and I got to talk to, to Doug a lot because he was up here working and uh, breaking or pinching the nerves in his feet or whatever is the matter with. He's got jacked up feet. <laughs> and he blames it on the church. So uh, I was up here a lot, and... Uh, and Doug asked me about May of, oh man, what is that, 2007? 2007, he, he says, he goes, you know, uh, he goes, we could use a youth pastor. And I was like, well, <laughs> this church isn't going to pay my salary. You know, it's not, it's not enough. I mean, I was doing pretty well in, in Houston. I was sergeant and, you know, I worked a lot of overtime and got a lot of money. And, you know, I was, felt like that's what I needed. And, uh. And so I was waiting for a job, and I needed a job. And I said, well, that's nice, Doug. Uh, you know, if I'm, I'm around, maybe, but i got to get a job first. And then uh, so I ended up landing a job at Child Protective Services. And uh, a couple weeks later, I, I got the job in July and started working. And then in August, we had a lake day, or maybe it was the end of July. It was probably the, the end of July. Uh, we had a lake day deal with the church. And Doug says, so you ready to, to become our youth pastor? And I said, all right, I'll legitimately pray about it and we'll see what God's doing. I've been out of the ministry uh, for a while at this time. This is probably about six years at this time. And I didn't know what God was going to do. I knew that I was supposed to be a police officer in Houston and I was just being obedient. And uh, I knew, you know, at one time in my life, that's where God was leading me as the ministry. I didn't know if that time was over or not. And so I prayed about it and I was like, this is what we're doing. So we uh, talked to Doug, said, all right, Doug, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's grow this youth group and let's, let's, uh, let's do this. And then, y'all, if, if you were here when we started this church, this, this house that's over here next door uh, was nasty, nasty. They would literally, everybody would be working, and when they took lunch breaks, they'd go over to the house. And I could never figure out why they'd go to the house to eat because it stank really, really bad. It was like cat urine and whatever else. I don't know. It, it was it was horrible. And so Doug's like, we're going to put floors in the in the in that house, and uh, we're going to rent it out. And he's like, you know, it's bad because if it was a parsonage, we wouldn't have to pay taxes on it. 
And I was like, well, why don't you make it the youth pastor's house? And he's like, think you can convince Amanda to move in there? And so we did some remodeling and everything, and that's my house now. And then, so for the past two years, been youth pastoring here at the church, and we're growing it. And uh, finally, my, my job at CPS is horrible. Uh, I, I was getting stressed out. I was having a little time to, to really spend with the youth. And uh, I, so I came to Doug, and I was like, man, I'm about to take a job that's paying me even less money than I'm making now, which is like half of what I was making in Houston. So there's got to be some kind of balance here. And uh, he, he said, well, let's, let me talk to the board. The, the board, that's Jeff <laughs> at the time. So, uh, so anyway, uh, I, I just left my job on Friday with Child Protective Services, and I'm going to go full-time here at the church, and uh, I'm going to be working on the videos that you see, the media, and uh, also spending more time with the youth. Um, we're going to develop a program uh, with uh, college-age young people and uh, get them going. Keep them, keep them going. Try to, try to meet everybody's needs here. And so I'm, I'm happy that that I get to go full time. It's, I, I graduated college 11 years ago with a degree in pastoral ministries, and uh, I, you know, I had dreams of of being, being the uh, a pastor someday. You know, full time ministry. It took 11 years to get to this point, but uh, and had I gone into full time ministry, I would have missed everything else that's been going on and the way God's gotten me here. So it's, it's exciting. I'm sure you'll hear a lot more about it. Every time I talk, I, I bring up... I like to incorporate stories in what I'm talking about, and you'll get to know me. The youth have probably heard the, the shoe story several times over the years. Um, y'all have registration cards? Okay. I want you to fill that out, even if uh, we're not the church that's going to go knocking on your doorstep if you're a guest and uh, be bothering you and everything. We'd just like to know who is here. And uh, even if, uh, if you're here a lot, still fill it out. Because on the back of your registration card, I want to give you uh, two, different, two different options to put, okay? Number one, if you feel like you don't have the margin in your life that you should and uh, you think you need to develop some margin, why don't you go ahead and put a number one on the back of your registration card? And uh, if you feel like, hey, I've set up that margin, I'm doing a good job, put a number two on the back of that card. I encourage everybody here to, uh, to do something. Set up some more boundary lines. It can happen. It can happen to anybody. So uh, Doug's going to come up here in a second, but let's pray real quick, everybody. Father, give us courage to live the way we should. Help us flee from, from sexual immorality and... Uh, Help those of us that, that feel bad and, and don't, uh, don't feel worthy of, of your grace to, to realize, Lord, that you have forgiveness for us. And uh, you're, just, you're just chomping at the bit to, to love us and to show us that mercy and grace. I ask you to, to give us the wisdom to, uh, to set up those boundaries in our lives and uh, help us to realize, God, just how, how strong your love is and that you're absolutely crazy. You're bonkers over us, God. And, and uh, if anybody here doesn't know that, God, I just ask you to show them your love. In the name of Jesus, amen.
part of, of figuring out what to do in our church has always been to discern God's timing. Um, somebody told me that this building was for sale five years ago. And when I first heard about it, we checked into it, and, and it, was, it was way out of our price range. And so then three years ago, somebody mentioned again, hey, uh, why don't you check into the skating rink? Well, by that time, the price was about a third of what it had been, you know, five years ago. And we started pursuing things, and we made an offer, and they accepted our offer, and we were, we were overjoyed, and, and we came and worked here, and the church did kill my feet. That, that is not an excuse. Um, I worked out here like a dog. And anyway, uh, when, when I first talked to James, it was the wrong time. Uh, when I said, hey, man, would you consider being our youth minister? Because he's like, yeah, whatever. And, and really, the first thing he told me was, um, man, I'm, I'm happy where I am. I got to have a salary like that. And, and so in my mind, I was like, oh, well, he sucks. You know, he can't, he, he wants money. He wants stuff. And, and so I say that jokingly, but in my mind, I was just praying. And, and I kept seeing things happening. I kept seeing God's direction. And so um, I, think, uh, I think Jason and Jamie actually overheard that conversation when we were out at the lake that day. And, and I just said, man, I'm, I'm going to ask you again, would you consider being our youth minister? And he kind of dropped his head and he goes, he goes, man, I, I don't have much of an excuse, do I? And he, and he said, I'll pray about it. So anyway, we were working up here doing different things. And, and he came back to me and he said, he said yes, um, I want to do that. I believe God's leading me there. And so I had been praying, you know, since we started this church about God, when, when do we add full-time staff members, you know, um, because that's always a step of faith. And, and when James told me that he was beginning to look at some other jobs, I mean, in two years, God had brought him from, you got to have this salary down to, man, I'm taking this salary. Um, and, and even then, you know, it's a little bit of a stretch for our church. I started praying and Jeff started praying and, and Carlene's on our board now and, and Carlene's been praying and, and we, we felt like this wasn't a reaction to his job situation. This was a reaction to timing. We felt like it was God's time because Jeff had been praying for two years and telling me for two years what we need is a media person on staff. Drew does a great job. There, there is nobody like Andrew McQuistian. He is phenomenal at what he does. Um, but he has another full-time job, and, and really it is massive amounts of time to film and plan and edit and all of those things. And so in no way would James uh, at all try to take over that portion. He's going to take over more of the administrative side of, of our videos and our media and all that stuff. But anyway, Je Jeff had always said, next person we hire because of our videos, because of who we are, needs to be a media-type person. Well, one day James and I were talking and, you know, he had he had thought he was going to go into some type of, of video media stuff uh, years ago. And so, I, I, you know, these things start popping in my mind. I said, God, is this you? And we started praying. I shared that with Jeff. And anyway, all of this stuff comes around now that uh, in a week from Tuesday, well, actually, he'll be back next Sunday. He's going to see his parents. He'll be here next Sunday. I guess that's his first Sunday as our full-time youth slash media arts pastor. Uh, that's way fancy. Too long for a business card. I don't know what we'll put on there. Um, Got to be something simpler than that. But we just felt like it was God's timing. And, and if God is calling James here, then God's going to provide. Um, I, was, I was sharing. I've got some friends here from, from one, two, three churches ago. 
Gary and Debbie Wood, they were in my church pre-Janie. Janie used to stay at their house when she would come to visit me so that we would have margin and, and not, you know, four feet on the floor and none of those sleepovers. We didn't do any of that stuff. Um, but I was telling them about all the stuff God has done. And when we started this church, there were times the church couldn't pay us. There were two particular times in the first year that the church had nothing in the checking account. And we were at, at this point, we were uh, at the computer shop. And the first time my office was there, first time a man walks in getting his computer worked on, he goes, what's that office over in the corner? And, and Daniel said, that's our pastor. And the guy said, well, part of what God has called us to do is support pastors. Goes out to his truck, gets a checkbook, writes a check for $1,000. And he said, give this to your pastor. Two times that happened. And when it happened, we would say, wow, God is real. And God provides wherever he guides someone. So we are taking a step of faith with, with James and Amanda, but we fully believe that God, I mean, God had to convince Amanda to go in that house um, because it was, it was nasty. But we've renovated that house. We now gave them a new wing so that they can have children. Um, uh, <laughs> but we just feel like as a church, now's the time. And so um, we're asking you to be involved in that, to pray and, and support them with your prayers. If they need your help, you know, going and doing youth ministry stuff, volunteer your time because you're going to be blessed if you, if you pour into the lives of these kids. And, and so all of that to say, now's the time. And we're glad that you're here and we want you to be a part of that as well. We have three baskets at the back. One is our joy basket. All of our church members, regular attenders, you're supposed to give. If you're a guest, we never ask for a dime of your money. You walk by, smile. Uh, if you need a little bit, no, don't take it out because somebody might smack your hand. Um, we probably have a few tasers in the crowd. There might even be somebody packing heat. So do not, do not stick your hand in and take anything out. Um, we have a uh, registration card basket. That's where we want you to put your cards. If you have prayer concerns, we do go through those during the week. Um, we pray for anybody that, that if you put that on there, that it's okay for us to pray tomorrow night. We will pray for you tomorrow night while we're here. We'll put that on our prayer guides. Uh, and we have a third basket, which is our building a great life, our bagel basket. We are praying and giving to get out of debt as fast as we can to pay this place off because we really believe that God is about to do something so great in our time that we wouldn't believe it if he told us ahead of time. And so we're trying to get out of debt so that we can build a new worship center out here. And we're going to pay cash when we build this new worship center. We believe God is going to provide that. We're not going to get a loan. And so the building a great life basket is, is where you give a separate check and all of that goes right to our principal on our loan. To date, I think we're over $30,000 in the last six months that have gone just to principal. That's over and above our regular payment. Um, that that's, comes down to, uh, there. The, I think the average, I don't remember, I said this several weeks ago, the average is about... $400 a family that has made this commitment that they're giving over and above the tithe. Only God. I mean, it's a big deal when people tithe. You get people that give over and above the tithe. That's a God thing. And so we just celebrate that. So I've talked way too long. You're dismissed. Get out of here.